Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Begin reading or begin our study in verse 17. We'll go to the end of the chapter, verse 24. We're studying the life of Elijah and uh, this particular part of his life, the resurrection of the widow's son. And the title of the message this morning is The Power of God Unleashed Through Compassion. We left Elijah in Zarephath. He had come from the wilderness area near the brook Cherith where God commanded ravens to feed him twice a day and where he drank from that seasonal brook. But then the brook dried up and God sent him to a widow in Zarephath. And she responded in obedience when the prophet asked for her uh, for water, something to drink, and then something to eat. And she gave him her last bit of meal prepared with what little oil that she had. Elijah told her not to fear, that the jar would not run empty, nor the crews run out of oil until the Lord sent rain upon the earth. And God miraculously supplied. Now we come to verse 17. And it begins, and it came to pass after these things. We don't know how many days passed before this verse. We don't know how many meals that they had eaten up until this point. But the miracle of God's provision must have still been fresh as they made each meal and looked, and there again was more grain and more oil for yet another meal. But something unexpected happened. The widow's son got sick and died. And when God manifests his goodness in our lives, and then all of a sudden we're faced with the tragedy, we often wonder, what went wrong? What changed? And we often say, did I do something to displease the Lord? But this tragedy is only another opportunity for God to reveal his power. He is teaching them and us that not only can he sustain life through the daily provision of food and water, he can do greater things. He can restore life when it's ended. He has the power over death. He's the giver of life. I think a major lesson here, beside the fact that God is omnipotent, that's very clear, but it's one we all need to learn. We need to have a compassion for others. We need to see them in their need and do what we can to help. Compassion has been defined as a love that reaches out to do something for others. Very simply, it's love in action. And do we have compassion like that today? We might say, oh, I love the world, I love my neighbor, but do we do anything? Do we reach out? Is it love in action? Jesus himself is a great example of compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, he saw the multitudes. And it says that he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Can we love as Christ loved? Elijah will show us what compassion looks like. In this passage, 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 24, we'll follow the text and see the power of God unleashed through compassion. First of all, when you have compassion, you'll see the needs of others. 
Verses 17 and 18, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I done with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now just stop and think about the extreme need of this woman. She was a widow with a child living in a time of famine. She had no husband. The burden for caring for the home had fallen upon her shoulders and it had driven her to gathering sticks for a fire for a meal. The responsibility of bringing up this son was hers alone. She had no one else to help her love him, to teach him, to sing to him, to tell him stories. The first words of the woman that Elijah, that the Bible records in verse 12 show us that she'd already come to grips with the fact that they were not going to survive the famine. This is our last meal. I'm going to make it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And then came the miraculous supply. But now, sickness and death. And she's traveling through the highs and the lows of life that we often go through. And when we do, we wonder, in the valleys, in the difficult times, why are we here? The child fell sick, and in the sickness, it was so severe that he died. We can only imagine how hard it must have been for this mother. Every day, she would care for him, hoping that his condition would improve. But every day, he got worse. And those of you who have been a caregiver... In the final days of someone that you love, especially a child, know the strain and the sorrow and the pain that seems to sweep over you in waves. Then her son died. Some critics say he didn't die, he was just unconscious, and that explains this miracle away. Well, there are several proofs in the text that show her son really did die. In verse 17, some of the grammar here. In verse 18, some of the, the verbiage, the words. 17, 18, 20, and 21, we'll see a specific language that's, that proves that this was a, a, an actual death. The description that the child was not breathing is found in verse 17. There was no breath left in him. We, we might say he breathed his last breath. The wording clearly indicates death. He was not breathing. We also know that he was dead because of the reaction of the widow. Immediately she, she thought about something that made her feel guilty. Often, a person who has not been forgiven of their sin by the grace of God will do that. Well, anything that, bad, that, that happens that's bad is because of something that I did. Verse 18, she says, Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance? And to slay my son? The word slay there is the Hebrew word muth that means to kill, to destroy, to end a life. And so, again, a very clear proof that this was indeed death. We see that same word used in verse 20. There's a lot of guilt involved in sin. Here she's trying to pass the blame onto Elijah. Uh, guilt either makes... People blame themselves with self-pity or else blame someone else in self-justification. There's blame. Then 
we'll, we'll continue to see how the response that she has to Elijah shows her faith. But when a person comes to Christ for salvation, aren't you glad that he not only forgives your sin, but he removes your guilt? We're, we feel that guilt because of sin. People try a lot of things to get rid of guilt. Some go to the dark side, and they, they try drugs and alcohol, parties and pleasure, and they want to just forget their guilt. Some throw themselves into, into good pursuits, health and exercise, uh, knowledge and education. Maybe I can somehow do all these good things and compensate for my sin and make me feel better. But only Christ can remove your guilt. And he does that in the moment that he saves you from your sin. Do you want to wake up without the guilt of sin? Come to the Savior and let him forgive your sin. There are consequences of sin that might remain, even for the believer. A person who is extremely overweight and gets saved and forgiven still will have to go on a diet to get rid of those pounds. A person who smokes all of his life may have damaged his lungs. He may take himself to an early grave because of that. We may have regrets about the consequences of the, the sinful past that we have, but we don't need to feel guilty because Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sins. Hallelujah. This widow knew her son was dead, and she felt guilty because she thought it was because of something she did. She talked about her guilt. She also got angry with Elijah. Verse 18, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She blamed Elijah for just being there. It's because you're here. Have you ever noticed that when a lost person is around a saved person, he realizes there's a difference between the two? It makes him uncomfortable. He knows that he needs to come to Christ. He doesn't like feeling that conviction, and often he'll just turn and accuse the Christian of making him feel that way. After all, Christianity, as believers, were salt and light in the world. And light brings the things to darkness. It reveals things about the darkness. And salt stings when it gets into wounds. The third proof that this death was real is found in the terminology used by Elijah in verse 20. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Again, that word slaying there, muth, brought him to a, a point where he was dead. And so in his prayer, Elijah knows that God is the one who has the power of life and death. All death is the result of man's sin. The doctrine of inherited sin on Adam's disobedience is clearly taught in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The fourth indication in the text is found also in Elijah's prayer in verse 21. I pray thee, let this child's soul come back into him again. At death, the soul departs. Elijah is praying for that to be restored again to the body. So Elijah, in order to unleash the power of God in this widow's life, first has to see her need. There's no greater need today that people have than to have their sins forgiven. 
Do you look at people and rec recognize that need? They may not, but do you look at their face and so say, I know what you need. You need to have your sins forgiven. God has made a way for that to happen through the work of Christ on the cross. Will you look with compassion to see others in their need? It's an interesting verse in Jeremiah, the weeping prophet writes, after he sees the destruction of Jerusalem, the desolation that's there in the city, he was moved to tears. Lamentations 3.5, or 3.51, he said, Mine eye affecteth my heart. Does your eye affect your heart? Or do you kind of keep it closed to the needs of those around you? Will you look with compassion to see others as Christ saw them? Lost sheep in need of a shepherd. Lost souls in need of Christ. Secondly, when you have compassion, you'll get involved to meet the needs. We see that in verse 19. Again, this woman had an extreme need. Her son was dead. And so Elijah got involved. Look at verse 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. Elijah had been wrongfully and harshly accused. We don't have all the details that were going on in her life up to this point. She was probably a worshiper of Baal. We mentioned before that Sidon was the center of Baal worship. That's where Jezebel's father, Ethbaal, was from. She obeyed what Elijah told her to do and was experiencing some measure of the blessings as God provided for those daily needs. But we don't have any indication that she has come to faith, that she is a believer in the God of Elijah. She's gone through a difficult time trying to keep her son alive and to no avail, and we can understand, perhaps, why she lashed out. Since the day God brought this prophet across her path, she's really experiencing the blessings that God has, but she spoke out harshly. It would have been easy for Elijah to respond in kind, but instead, he was gentle. We come to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter on love, and we come down to verse 4, and the characteristics of love are enumerated. You know what's at the top of the list? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Oh, that we would be so filled with God's spirit that when the accusations fly, we would be able to respond in love, in gentleness, in kindness, with long-suffering. His request is simple, give me thy son. Philip Keller has a, a book about Elijah's life, and he writes, what Elijah did was one of the most magnanimous gestures ever exhibited by a man of God in greatness, generosity, and gentleness. He reached out his arms to the woman and took the dead body into his own embrace. They were in this suffering together, he and she. Her burden was his burden. Her heartbreak was his heartbreak. Her pain was his pain. Give me thy son. That's what he said. What did he do? He took him from her. The child obviously small enough to be lifted into one's arms and carried. The Old Testament law in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 
said that to touch a corpse would make someone unclean. But there's an exception. Unless it was one of your family members. And here I believe he may be showing his close relationship already with his boy, his family. He took him from him. He carried him to his room. It's called a loft. It's called a chamber in verse 23. It was a room that would be separate from the main house. He laid him down on his own bed. What a lesson in compassion. Do you get involved in the lives of others? Do you go out of your way to help? Even those, those hard cases, those difficult cases, you say, I, I'll just pray for you, and, and you leave them. Do you see lost souls that are blindly walking to the edge of an eternal cliff? Do you try to help them? When you see someone who's just weighed down by a burden, we need to have compassion for the lost, but there's also a compassion that we need to have for one another as believers. I love the passage in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 5. It says in verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law? It's the law of love. You bear each other's burdens because that's the way love does. And then you get to verse 5, and it says, For every man shall bear his own burden. And some people scratch their head and say, Now, wait a minute. How can I bear someone else's burden if I have to carry my own? The answer, I believe, is found in the words that are used in the original language here. They're different words translated burden. In verse 2, it's a word that means a weight, a load, an overwhelming amount for someone to carry. They're weighed down. They can't carry it any longer. And verse 5 is a word that means an invoice, as, as an attachment to the freight that's delivered. Suppose a delivery came to the church and Susan and I met the delivery truck at the door. The driver says, I have 15 boxes of paper, copying paper, and here's the invoice. What do you think if I picked up the invoice and I said, I'll carry this. Susan, you take the other 15 boxes down to the office. <laughs> what is this passage in Galatians telling us? We all have jobs. We all have our lives, we all have our invoices, each one of us has a schedule of things to do, but when you see someone with a tremendous load to carry, you help them. Compassion will help you see others in their need. Compassion will move you to get involved to help them in that need. There are souls struggling under the burden of sin. Help them. Tell them to come to Christ. He's the one who said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are Christians struggling over some besetting sin. Help them. There are dear saints that are struggling with some difficulty in life, and there are people with tremendous needs. What are you doing to help them carry that load that they can't carry on their own? When you have compassion... You'll not only see the needs of others, but you'll want to get involved to help them with those needs. Third, when you have compassion, you'll be moved to pray for others. We see that in verses 20 through 22. What did Elijah do? And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon this widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? 
And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Word there, he was quickened. He was made to live again. What was Elijah's prayer? In that, he was not blaming God. You read the verbiage and you say, well, I I think it doesn't sound, I, I don't think I could do that. It sounds like he's almost blaming the Lord. He says, also there, hast thou also brought evil upon this widow? Also refers to the famine. Uh, Kyle and Delich write, these words, in which the word also refers to the other calamities occasioned by the drought, contain no reproach of God, but are expressive of the heartiest compassion for the suffering of his benefactress, and the deepest lamentation which, springing from living faith, pours out the whole heart before God in the hour of distress, that it may appeal to him the more powerfully for his aid. He was begging God to raise this child. He fully believed that God could do this miracle. His activity, he stretched himself upon the child three times. I think the emphasis in this this passage is, is on the prayer of Elijah and the working, the answering of God. I think he knelt down beside the child. The bed would have been close to the floor, leaned over the small, lifeless body, and pleaded to God. So I don't think the reference three times speaks mostly of his posture, but of his prayer. That is, he prayed three times. We get to the next chapter, chapter 18. Elijah's on on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And after the victory there, he sends his servant to look for a cloud. Is it going to rain? Do you remember how how many times he prayed and sent the servant back? Seven times. You keep praying until you see the clouds forming. You keep praying until God answers. And God did answer. The Lord answered in verse 22. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. What a statement. Does that not make you compare your life and contrast your prayers with Elijah's? Does God hear you when you pray? Have you ever had an unmistakably direct answer to a specific prayer? You say, I have had those things take place in my life. I have had that happen. How long ago was it? Is he answering your prayers today? These answers are to be a common occurrence in the life of one who knows how to pray and who knows the God of Elijah. When you have compassion, you'll be moved to pray for others. Last, when you have compassion, it will result in praise to God by others. Verses 23 and 24. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Elijah is the forerunner of Christ, the one who would conquer death and hell. We don't find anyone before this being raised from the dead in the Old Testament. 
You say, well, what about Enoch? Well, Enoch was translated. He did not see death. This is the first. Hallelujah, there will be more. <laughs> if you know Christ as your Savior, death will not end your life. It'll enter you, it'll usher you into the entrance of, a, of an eternal kingdom in the presence of Christ. A Gentile's wo woman's faith was, was strengthened in the God of Israel. Her faith in the integrity of Elijah as a man of God was strengthened. Her faith in the message of Elijah as God's spokesman was also strengthened. The power of God was unleashed through compassion. So we think about this event in Elijah's life. Don't you want God to unleash his power in your life? It will come through compassion. It will come as you look and see the extreme needs that people have today, needs that are spiritual, needs that are eternal. It will come as you look at other believers and say they have needs as well, needs for restoration to Christ and fellowship with him, needs that they may have that are just daily burdens that they can't carry. Will you see what God will do through your compassion? Compassion will not only help you see the needs of others, it will move you to get involved. It will burden you to pray for them, to come to Christ in salvation. It will cause you to help other believers who are struggling under a burden they can't carry. And the result? People will know that God is real. And people will know that the message that we proclaim is true. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this miracle that's recorded in our Bibles. We thank you that all of it is true, that you answered Elijah's prayer who cared for this woman and her son, and you begged God to bring life back into him, and you did. I pray that our prayers would be so effective, that our trust in a God would be so great, that God would do great things, in our day and age, that our hearts will be burdened for others, that we'd be moved with compassion, that we'd see others as you see them, and pray that they would come to you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.